The Growing Destinations podcast is brought to you by Experience Rochester. Learn more about Minnesota's third largest city, which is home to Mayo Clinic and features wonderful recreational and entertainment opportunities by visiting experiencerochestermn.com. I've been hearing stories from my father and my aunts about him, and there's more to this man than I understand. And then I started digging into the Manhattan Project and realized that the histories that are out there about the Manhattan Project focus on the physicists. And it's, of course, none of it would have happened without the physicists. However, it also wouldn't have happened without the chemists. Welcome to the Growing Destinations podcast, where we take a deep dive into destination development and focus on a wide range of topics, from tourism and entertainment to economic development and entrepreneurism and much more. I'm your host, Bill Von Bank. In her award-winning book, Wilhelm's Way, Rochester, Minnesota author Teresa Wilhelm Waldoff writes about the inspiring story of her grandfather, Harley Wilhelm, the Iowa chemist who saved the Manhattan Project. It's Teresa's first book as an author. She spent 10 years researching and writing this book that reveals the life and times of her grandfather and his significant contribution to world history and ending World War II. Teresa Wilhelm Waldoff, welcome to the Growing Destinations podcast. Thank you. I am so thrilled to be here. Teresa, you are an award-winning author and scholar and the world's leading expert on the Ames Project section of the Manhattan Project, all of which we're going to discuss today. But first, share a bit about yourself and your career journey. I did just retire on April 30th, so... Um, Congratulations. Thank you. I'm so <laughs> thrilled to have this new chapter of my life, no pun intended. As an author, that's a bad pun to use, but... I, hey, puns <laughs> but, are welcome here. <laughs> so I, um, my career was pretty eclectic. I've done a lot of different things. I did start selling in second grade on the playground, selling creepy crawlers <laughs> for a buck a piece. And I got sent to the back. And I got sent to the principal's office. Anyway, so I was in sales and sales management primarily throughout my career, sales operations, did project management. Really in the last 10 years, did a lot of turnarounds of organizations and teams that were in serious problem, you know, losing money or just mismanaged. And got kind of a knack for that. And I think my problem-solving skills probably come from something I inherited through my grandfather and my father both. In 2022, you published a book, Wilhelm's Way, the inspiring story of the Iowa chemist who saved the Manhattan Project. That chemist was your grandfather, Harley A. Wilhelm, who through his important work for the federal government changed the course of history and brought an end to World War II. Before we learn about Harley... Um, through your writing, share with us your memories of your grandfather. My grandfather was kind of an affable guy, very likable, very level-headed and mild-mannered. And he was just kind of fun to be around. He was a big sports fan. He was a Drake Bulldog for life. I remember going down to their house in Ames, Iowa. And during the holidays, he was always watching the football games and then the basketball games for Drake. And, and of course, Iowa State, if they were playing as well. He was the original recycler. As a metallurgist, he understood the value of non-renewable resources. And so he had a lot of tin cans in his basement and aluminum when, when he passed away. And I remember that because it just was, seemed so odd at the time, but now it just makes perfect sense to me. 
he was a do-it-yourselfer. He, there's some funny stories. There's so many stories I was not able to share in the book about him due to space, but um, there's a lot of stories about him trying to do things on his own that didn't turn out too well. And those are fun stories in the family that we like to, to share. Gardener always had would make jam and he had this thing called super juice that he would make for, for us. It was orange juice loaded up with sugar. <laughs> it's like not really good for you, but doesn't yeah, orange already yeah, have a yeah, lot of sugar? Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, um, you know, and oddities, like as a chemist, he had this lazy Susan on his kitchen table that he kept all these vitamins and minerals and things. And the kids had to have to had those on, on their food. They had to sprinkle it on their food to stay healthy. So he was just a very interesting character. And I didn't know how important of a person he was grow- as I was growing up. I really learned that later in my adulthood and, and even more so after he'd passed away. I have been enthralled with your book, Wilhelm's Way. For me, it's an incredible history lesson, more so than I ever imagined. For our audience, walk us through the book and the significant contributions of your grandfather. Wilhelm uh, was brought onto the Manhattan Project initially to solve a problem of finding a substitute for uranium. And uh, they needed uranium. The physicists had a theory that they wanted to prove a a, uh, chain reaction, controlled self-sustaining chain reaction was possible. And they realized they needed uranium to do that, but it had to be pure because impurities would steal neutrons and kill the reaction. However, that problem had been something scientists had worked on for 150 years and not solved in terms of purifying uranium. It didn't exist. And so Arthur Compton, who ran the project, was looking for somebody who could find a substitute for uranium. And that was what Wilhelm was initially tasked with doing, but he knew the physicists really wanted pure uranium, not a substitute. So on the side, he worked on this purification of uranium. And him solving that enabled us to build the atomic bomb and end the war quickly and swiftly and definitively a few years later. His team at Iowa State produced over 2 million pounds of pure uranium that was then used to be transmuted into plutonium, which enabled us to build the plutonium bomb. It's incredible that this was a top-secret project, of course, all across the United States. Many, many scholars, many physicists, many chemists, just all, I mean, how big of a project was it? And and really, who saved the project were your grandfather and his team out of Ames, Iowa. Yes, there were a couple hundred thousand people, I believe, wow. on the Manhattan Project in total, and his part of it was very critical. I mean, if, if not for Wilhelm, we likely would have invaded Japan because his, his invention made it possible to move the project forward quickly. And um, the people in Iowa working on it, actually the people underneath him working on it, didn't know what they were working on. They knew they were purifying uranium, but they didn't know they were working on the atomic bomb. And so it was highly classified, and there's you know, stories about the building down there in Ames. There would be fires and explosions, and the building would sometimes like look like it was glowing. And <laughs> and and yet the community didn't know what was going on there, and, and the workers didn't. Just the top-level chemists and, and physicists knew, and of course top general in the Army, they knew what was going on with the project. Growing up, you didn't know. No, I did not know. He was just my grandpa. We we called him Grandpappy, 
And, uh, you know, I remember him giving me horsey rides on his back and he always liked to claim he was the person that gave his grandchildren their first piano lesson. He'd set us down in front of the piano or organ and, and let us just pound on it. And he, he wanted to be able to take credit if we became famous, you know, pianist or something later in life. <laughs> so, of course he was, fa- he was yeah, famous. He was famous in the scientific world in his, in his realm. He was very famous, but he was very humble and, you know, one of the aspects about my grandfather and his humility is that he would win awards and then he would bring them home and show my grandma and he'd put them in the closet on a shelf and they stayed there until the day he died. When did you find out that your grandfather did something really important for our country? And then after that, I need to know, when did you decide to start to write the book? So I didn't really understand what he had done or accomplished until I believe it was 1985 or six when they named Wilhelm Hall at Iowa state university after him. It had been the metallurgy building, which was a building that was built following the war when the U S atomic energy commission was created. They gave funding to build this metallurgy building. And it was decades later when it was finally named Wilhelm Hall. And there was a big event and my parents said, you need to come to Iowa um, they're naming a building after your grandfather. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I went, and there was the newspapers were there, the TV stations were there, and uh, the governor and a lot of important people. And that's when I really came to understand that what his impact on the outcome of the war was huge. And um, and yet I was fairly young, and I didn't do anything with it. And I wasn't even thinking about writing a book until later in life, about 30 years later, <laughs> I finally finally said, you know, I've been hearing stories from my father and my aunts about him, and there's more to this man than I understand. And then I started digging into the Manhattan Project and realized that the histories that are out there about the Manhattan Project focus on the physicists. And it's, of course, none of it would have happened without the physicists. However, it also wouldn't have happened without the chemists. And Wilhelm's role as a chemist was a critical role um, that contributed to us being able to be successful with the project. There has been a lot written about the Manhattan Project. How was this story missed? Well, the original history that was written by Henry Smythe, I believe it was, he was a physicist himself, and he was asked to by General Groves to do a be an embedded kind of embedded journalist during the project. And he really understood the physics of the project and he just didn't focus on the chemistry. And it has been kind of understood out there that the physicists got all the credit and the chemistry kind of got left behind. There was a lot of other chemistry besides what Wilhelm did. I mean, they needed, they needed um, polonium for the trigger, and there were you know all this work with plutonium, although Wilhelm and his team did a lot of research on plutonium also, which I don't even talk about that in the book. There's so many things they were working on that I couldn't add to the book. And Richard Rhodes, who wrote The Making of the Atomic Bomb, and he actually won the Pulitzer Prize for that, doesn't go into the chemistry either. And there's one passing sentence in there about spedding and um, the uranium coming from Iowa, and and that's it. Usually you'll read about there was a problem with uranium they needed to solve and it got solved, but they never say who solved it, why, you know, how it was solved, why it was so important for it to get solved. And I am not quite sure why they missed it, except that I know the physicists were the ones who were writing the history. Well, you made up for that in this book. So tell us that journey. Well, I started to 
think about writing a book after I took a writing class. <laughs> so I, I was going to go back and get my MBA and I hadn't taken a class or written a paper in almost 30 years. I thought I better take a writing class. And, and I took uh, some cl- a class up at Dakota County Technical College. And, in the Twin Cities. Yeah. And um, the instructor there asked for me to give him a copy of one of my papers for him to use for future classes and needed my permission. I'm like, okay. And then the next paper, he said, you need to get this one published. So all of a sudden I thought, well, maybe I have a skill set I didn't know I had. How could I parlay that into something? And then I was thinking about my grandfather and I thought, you know, I should do this. Well, it wasn't until 2012 that I really dealt into working on the project and which is after I got my MBA. So I finished my, my graduate school studies and then went on to, to start re- researching the book. And I spent probably a year doing the initial research and then a, another year continuing research and doing the first draft and then drafting and redrafting and researching and re- and over and over <laughs> many drafts before I ever put it in front of an editor. But I also belong to the Rochester Writers Group. And they were very beneficial for me in the early stages. I took my early chapters there and had them give me feedback to make sure I was on the right direction, going in the right direction. And it was very beneficial for me to get that feedback. And then prior to taking it to an editor, I also had beta readers. So I had six people read the book in in its entirety and give me feedback. And I took all of that into consideration as I edited and improved the book. How long of a process was it? A decade. A decade. Yeah. So break down the research to the writing in terms of time. Probably more time in the research because I really had to dig to find things and travel. I spent time in the archives at Iowa State University many, many, many days, uh, time in Drake University archives. And when I first started the project, there really weren't records online yet. But within a year or so, um, these companies came into being where they were taking old archives, you know, documents from old newspapers or little museums and doing this historic preservation and putting them into digital form. And so then I was able to find things I wouldn't have been able to find. For instance, these records in Montana, which was a, uh, there was a college out there in her, in her mountain union college that my grandfather taught at for a year that no longer exists, but I was able to track down these digital records and then this little high school down in Iowa, they had digitized their records and um, the little museum there, you know, they gave me access to be able to get these records, but I kept digging and digging. Actually, it was like up till a month before it went into proofreading. I was still adding things. I'd written the book, but I kept finding more and more as more things came online that I could add to the book. What I really like about the book, and I mentioned earlier, it's a great history lesson, but it doesn't feel like a history book. Thank you. It feels like a book that has personality, that has emotion, and you really get to understand your grandfather, who was a very humble person. Yes. Can you speak a little bit more about that person in this book? Maybe a few examples. Well, I mentioned that he would win these awards, and this big award that he won at the end of the war was the Army-Navy E-Flag, which was a flag for industry that he was the only individual to win. And uh, he won that award. He was actually given it in private by General Groves. And he took it home, showed my grandma the award, and then he put it on the closet because his boss didn't get one. 
Mm. Right. He got the award, but his boss didn't. Iowa State got the award and Iowa State had, you know, the flag that they had won, you know, flying for a few years. And it's actually on display in Spedding Hall, who uh, Frank Spedding was my grandfather's boss. So it's on display in his building. But the Wilhelm Army Navy flag went into a closet and it's in mint condition because it was never flown. And I have that. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. (laughs) What are some of the ways Wilhelm's work affects our way of life. For starters, nuclear energy. That uh, very first nuclear reactor was the chain reaction experiment that took place on December 2nd, 1942 under Stagg Stadium at the University of Chicago. And Wilhelm's uranium was at the core of that. So from that, we got the nuclear weapons, but we also got nuclear energy, which powers a lot of the world. Today, not even not just the U.S., but over in Europe and other places around the world, uh, nuclear medicine is a result of that. Um, agriculture tracers and even rover on Mars can be traced back to Wilhelm because the NASA, a lot of their um, spaceships are powered by plutonium, and plutonium is derived from transmuting uranium, and uranium has to be pure in order to transmute it. Wow. Over my head right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was over my head before I started this pro- this book project, too. It was all over my head. Yeah. But you've done a really good job. I mean, I'm, I'm giving you a lot of compliments because you deserve them. It, well, thank it's you. Just, it, it's really an engaging book because it is, it's not, you know, it's about a chemist, but it's not so technical. I really was uh, conscious of that because I myself am not a chemist, and when I started working on the project and I was looking at the original documents from 1942, which are probably still radioactive because they're <laughs> around all the uranium and everything. And, and I'm reading these documents and all these experiments. And I had to figure out from this huge abundance of documents, what are the important experiments that were taking place? And so I had to learn the terminology of chemistry and discern, okay, that one's important and this is not, and I can put this one in the book and then convert that into layperson's terms so that they could understand what it was and define things along the way. If I didn't know what it was, I figured the average reader didn't know what it was and then put it into a story that's interesting and um, that will keep them turning the page. I didn't want them to get bored by the chemistry, but I felt it was important for them to understand that this was a huge undertaking and almost like a miracle that he pulled it off as fast as he did when people had been trying to do what he did for 150 years and he solved it in six months. There's some musings in the book too. For example, you you mentioned in the book that uh, because this was so top secret that even the fire department (laughs) weren't allowed to the office. So they had to learn how to put fires out and and I guess they had some. Oh yeah. They had a a lot of fires and um, it was highly explosive. And if you don't do just the right handle it just the right way, you're going to end up with a fire or an explosion. And the building they were manufacturing the uranium in was an old building made out of corn cob wallboard, which is highly flammable. (laughs) (laughs) And so the um, technicians had to learn how to put out the fires because it was classified. and, And if the fire department came, they had to stay outside and the firefighters or the, the employees had to figure out how to put those fires out themselves. And one time there was six fires in one day and the secretaries who were on site there didn't really appreciate all the explosions and fires. And one day they all walked out, they all quit and walked out. 
Um, it was yeah, quite an explosive engagement. <laughs> this is your first book, and you've recently won first place at the Minnesota Book Awards for general nonfiction. And this is a big award. Congratulations, first of all. Thank you. Must be gratifying. Does it motivate you to write more? Yes. <laughs> I am, I'm feeling very blessed. You know, I had, it was a long process to get here, but I, I also wanted it to be a credible book and I wanted to take the time to make it right and not have, you know, make mistakes that could be discredited. So I really took the time to make it right. And I wanted to make, weave in that history because his life, Wilhelm's life, he was born in 1900. The world changed throughout his lifetime and the war and weave all that together to keep people turning the page. And winning the award is a validation that I know how to write, which I really didn't know because it was my first book. And I did learn more about writing and how to write by taking the criticism and listening to the criticism along the way that I was given by the Rochester Writers Group and by my beta readers and by my editor. And I'm very excited. I have several projects that I'm working on right now that are underway. What advice would you give to aspiring authors? I would say be patient and be kind to yourself. Be patient because if you want it to be a good product, you got to take the time to fix the errors, improve the verbiage, make the story flow, consider who your audience is. Like, and that's one thing I kept going back to is who's going to be reading this? Who do I want to read this? I don't want this book to be for scientists. I want this book to be for the average person to understand this am- amazing thing that happened in our history because Wilhelm's way is really Iowa history. It's U.S. history. It's world history. And I wanted it to be engaging enough so that people would do that. But I had to take the time to do that. And I was in a race against time because my parents were both in their 80s, late 80s. And they both have passed away in the last six months. So I made it just in the nick of time for them to be able to see the book. But I could have published the book three years earlier. It wouldn't have been as good a book because I would would not have done as intensive editing and rewriting that um, is required. So it took a lot of patience and, and a willingness to take my time to do it. And so I had to be nice to myself, be kind to myself to be okay with doing that and not beating myself up for not getting it done faster. Where can we find your book? At wilhelmsway.com or teresawaldoff.com. You can buy it and you get, you know, author signed copies if you order from my website, but it's also available on Amazon or you can order it through any bookstore. It's a great book. Teresa Wilhelm Waldoff, thanks for being our guest on Growing Destinations and best of luck on your next award-winning book. (laughs) Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you for tuning in to the Growing Destinations podcast. And don't forget to subscribe. This podcast is brought to you by Experience Rochester. Find out more about Rochester, Minnesota and its growing arts and culture scene, its international culinary flavors and award-winning craft beer by visiting experiencerochestermn.com.